0: Thank you all for supporting your practice and supporting everyone else's too by your presence. Hmm. So settling into our bodies, connecting with the relative stillness of our bodies as we sit here, or we're laying down, standing up. I usually just take a few moments to dedicate the sharing of the, the merit that um, is being accumulated within my own heart and in connection with all of you for the benefit of all beings. Just, just remembering that, not doing anything formal, but uh, we live in a, a very um, tumultuous situations now in the world and um anything we can do to help others even just little sharing of our goodness just by the thought settles my own heart and hopefully settles yours too everything's okay out there by the way um in the best way possible but uh Today, we're just here, sitting here, listening to the Dhamma. So today I'd like to offer a Dhamma talk on the two guardians of the world, the two guardians of the world. And I wanted to offer that talk because I know that um, you've, you've been probably connected with what's going on in and around you, uh, in your community, and also in the world at large. And I think it's, it's um, the reality to say that it's a difficult time now. And um, we need to be in touch with these two inner guardians of the world more than ever. So first, I'd like to start out with an overview of our practice, which kind of comprises these two guardians of the world understanding. An overview of what we've been doing here together and the trajectory of our practice. So all the teachings we've been offering and practicing here together have been supporting us towards the goal of the holy life, so to say which the Buddha called the unshakable deliverance of mind, which I call the sure heart's release. These are all awareness and mindfulness practices that lead to liberation, all these practices that we've been doing here. The practices of the Brahmaviharas are also mindfulness practices. The practices of the Paramis, mindfulness practices, we're being mindful of them, the practice of generosity also. So Manindraji, my first teacher in the Dhamma, summed up these teachings by calling them the three pillars of the Dharma, and I want to lay them out to you because they're all uh, experiences, teachings, and um, trainings that we've we've been offered so that we can practice them in our practice in the world and on the cushion. So in these uh, in these three pillars, we'll find the kind of basic trainings that we need to still be aware of as we go out into the world. We want to live our lives in an integrated way, in an embodied way, of course. So I'd state them here. Manindra would say to me that um, it's it's really important to remember these three pillars because if if we're having these three pillars as a foundation, it's a very sturdy foundation for us to live our lives from. The first pillar that not just Manindraji, but my teachers and all the way up to the Buddha, talked about this uh, pillar of dana. This is also an awareness practice awareness of our heart of generosity as uh luigi so beautifully expressed this morning in my morning it's about giving from a heart of compassion from a heart of gratitude from a heart of really being aware of are we in this in this moment of giving it's always good to give you know, sometimes my heart is, is not so open, but I still give most of the time. And sometimes I realize that what's filling my heart or what's prompting this giving is generosity, uh, a feeling in, inside of generosity or compassion or gratitude. And I really um, pay attention to that. So awareness of that is so beautiful. Because it's said that when of uh, that wholesome quality of mind in the actual giving, it actually strengthens the karmic uh, result of that in our own lives. So it's really important to pay attention, as Luigi was talking about this morning, pay attention to what's going on inside. And mind you, even when I'm not feeling so generous, or the the heart is kind of tight, and still give, I just feel the goodness of my own heart, even for a moment. So this is about giving not just whatever uh, monetary or physical resource we have, but sharing of our care, sharing of our love, sharing of um, just our time. You know that we offer someone, a listening heart. I think that's what um, Andrea was talking about the other evening, just offering her open heart to listen. That is an act of generosity, and people feel that as she expressed. Sharing the resources of our life with those around us, our immediate family, the community, the world at large, This gives us a really deep sense of connectivity, of interconnectedness. And it's a strength that we can live from when we feel like we're connected to this great web of love, of sharing with one another, of helping one another. It really makes uh, our practice strong in our lives. And the ability to keep practicing in times of hardships for us when we feel that deep connectivity with others. It also helps us to weaken the force of craving, uh, weaken the force of attachment, when we kind of, with an open hand, we can let go. Because it's with that open hand also, in the workings of karma, that we also receive. Just remembering my Auntie Esther, I was also raised, I loved um, Dawn's, sharing Uh, she was raised by three women because I, in in my own life, I was also mainly raised by my mother and two aunties. And one of them, my auntie Esther said, cast your bread upon the waters, for then you shall receive a casserole back. So it was really understanding from the Christian uh, way of life. Um, But isn't that true of all good hearts? We don't have to have a religion to know that. So it helps us to relinquish, but it also helps us to stay open so that receptivity can take place. So it, it it's it happens both ways, the giving, the receiving. It's a cycle of life that keeps us, um, keeps our lives going in a very deep-hearted way. So much more can be said about that, but I'll leave that... Uh, for now, dana is a very important quality, one of the pillars of the dharma. Another one is sila and I'm going to put more light upon that today because the two guardians of the world are this, uh, this sense of inner beauty called moral integrity which is sila. This is another awareness practice. It's really being aware of what causes harm takes awareness and so when we're when there's awareness of that we refrain from acting or saying something that may cause harm so it's awareness of our speech and behavior this sila more about it later refraining from acting out what causes harm and also knowing when our hearts are in uh, the the sense of harmony the sense of non-harming And then from that place to go forth with it and and to do something with it in our action and in our speech, Um, because that sends out a deep sense of security and and trust in the world, um, in the community that we live in. So these two awareness practices have to do with living in the world on a relational level, of course and being part of connecting to community. It's uh, humanity we're harmonizing with, which includes all of life on this earth, not just human life, but all beings, all sentient beings, all creatures, um, all those that we can't even see, that don't even have a breath, but um, we're connecting in our goodness. Manindra used to tell me If you offer the goodness of your heart to another, there are beings in this world that don't eat food, you know, that actually live on that offering, just consciously offering whatever we have to give in that moment, even if it's not um, uh, physical. So the first pillar is dana and the second pillar is sila. Sila is living in harmony. The third pillar is bhavana. Bhavana is practicing the development of the mind and the heart. We practice de, uh, developing or cultivating the mind and the heart in practicing samatha, practices where we develop samadhi. These are the concentration practices and we develop some of that um, in, in our uh, brahmavihara practices when we return over and over again to the inclination of the heart towards metta or compassion, um, less sympathetic joy, equanimity. There's some uh, and sometimes a great deal of concentration that can be developed there uh, when we repeat and over again, coming back to that inclination. We're also developing wisdom uh, in our insight practice in our Vipassana practice when we take that concentration and place it on changing experience or changing objects, this becomes insight, insight uh, insightful understanding, which really is what frees the heart. It uproots the defilements of greed, hatred, and delusion. So I'll leave I'll leave those two for uh, maybe myself or other people to offer talks about just on those particular subjects. So it's really good to understand the importance of including all of these three pillars in our lives as we go home to our families and our loved ones and our communities, really integrating them. And and when you practice them, you really get a sense of confidence of being held by the Dharma and being in connection with everyone around us who's holding life in that way, um, who's holding life with a sense of sensitivity, you know, to what causes harm and refraining, sensitivity from what causes harmony and going forth with that. This uh, not only leads to happiness and harmony among those we live with, but it's also harmony with our own highest aspirations which we're often or um, sometimes not in alignment with. So when we become in alignment with that, that's a time that we have this kind of deep integration within ourselves of, um, that we can be an agent for good in this world and for our own karma as well. So through these practices of dana and sila, generosity and harmonious living, we learn to navigate the beauty of life and the challenges of life in close relationship with others, as well as community and world at large. So in the time of the Buddha, um, when he would be asked to come and give a teaching, I learned from uh, my teachers that he would always offer the teachings in a gradual way. He would start out with the practice of generosity. Why that's so important as a beginning practice of letting go, the beginning practice of purifying the heart of greed and craving. Because that is what causes the most suffering in ourselves and in the world. From that comes hatred and aversion, you know, and more greed and um deeper uh deeper ignorance and deeper delusion so <clears throat> after the buddha would give this teaching of generosity which you know what it's the first of the paramis uh, when you when you think of it it's the first one that we learn in the paramis those beautiful qualities of mind to develop because it helps all the other paramis to also develop And it also really helps us to be able to um, face the first noble truth of suffering. So from there, he would proceed to living in harmony, which is a renunciation practice. It's always stated in terms of renunciation because it was uh, found or it was understood that um, it's easier to practice this when we understand what to refrain from because it's easy to say, do good, but how, you know, where do we start? We refrain from understanding what causes harm and then uh, we know that and then we refrain that. It's it's kind of just more to the point. It doesn't exclude what we should do, uh, but it, it just kind of is the very beginning part of the training. And then from there as a basis and preparation, the buddha would move on to the development of the mind and heart through meditation which is what we've been doing in our practice the practice of bhavana bhavana means cultivation so it's cultivation of this fertile of this soil from which freedom the fruit of freedom can come so this third pillar bhavana means this cultivation of awareness it's um really coming to see the in a very close-up way in a very intimate way the inner habit patterns of the mind the default patterns of the mind which is you know we need a lot of metta and compassion and equanimity to do that and seeing the joy and delight also of moments of being free so like um Uh, James was saying, really, these come together so beautifully, uh, these practices of the heart and the practices of uh, training the mind, so to say. It's all one thing. It's all from one place. Um, But we can see them differently sometimes. When these places are not hidden in delusion anymore, these places of inner habit patterns that cause harm, when they're brought up to the surface, then we can know that they're there and there's something that can be done with that. Otherwise they're just hidden by ignoring them or by uh, not even seeing them even when they're so obvious. So in this way with bhavana we learn to be with more kindness and this natural intention to just touch that place with kindness so that it can be known. And then from there, what can be known about it? In a very deep way, what is known is its impermanence. It's not self characteristic. Also the dukkha nature of it. Dukkha meaning um, the unsatisfactory nature of it. So we learn these skill sets here in retreat that um, get closer to seeing what, what works for us Uh, and all human beings, what is best in the non-harming ways, what's in the harming ways that we act out, and so refraining or tampering that down, weakening them. So all that we're doing is towards the sure heart's release, these practices, developing these skill sets, so we don't just develop these skill sets in and of themselves for that reason, as the end result. It's uh, for um, kind of like a basis for something more deep, or uh, kind of like um, a cultivation of something more freeing. So I want to read this from the simile of the Heartwood in the Majjima Nikaya 30. As the Buddha was talking to a group of Brahmins, And was saying to these Brahmins uh, in India, of course. So this holy life, Brahman, does not have gain, honor and renown for its benefit or the attainment of virtue for its benefit or the attainment of concentration for its benefit or knowledge and vision for its benefit. But it is this unshakable deliverance of heart and mind that is the goal of the holy life, its heartwood and its end. So this is the trajectory of the Buddha that we cannot leave out, you know, in our teachings. Um, It would not be giving you everything. So this is the complete release of greed, hatred and delusion. In our own hearts. So this is the letting go, that purification of it. I like to talk about this Sure Hearts Release as a release rather than like as an attainment of something, of being enlightened. Um, Sometimes in any language it has this idea of getting something, of grabbing on to something, attainment. Um, It's more when one experiences this, it is more like a release. It is, has a more felt sense of releasing. It has a more felt sense of purification, a more um, embodied sense of that. And it brings about the opposite of greed, greed and delusion. It's pu- uh, pure and um, sure heart's release. It brings about a heart that is generous, that is kind, that is wise nice. I heard that said earlier also by, um, by Bob. So that's, the, that's what we've been practicing and also the trajectory of, of our practice. You hear about the word Nibbana that some of us have mentioned. That is the sure heart's release. That is a purification of greed and delusion. So tonight I'd like to offer you some reflections and put more light around sila or virtuous conduct because in going home it's it's a major point and it's a major uh, place to put our attention. It's a practice of reframing and refraining from harming basically through our speech and behavior and of course in our deep practice we're learning what the mind is doing to kind of propel our behavior but sila has to do with speech and behavior per se by by itself so um, these are not command but they're principles of training um, when we take the training in one of the translations in pali when we take the precepts goes like this i undertake the training to refrain from i undertake the training to refrain from so it gives us an idea that it's not that thou shalt not do that it's more like we're training and in the training it's difficult you know we're gonna make mistakes we will have uh, we'll fall back sometimes and then we try again we keep going so this is um a positive aspects of that too which are virtues that are cultivated primarily compassion this is cultivated when we take these uh, trainings we do them because the underlying cause of doing this is compassion the reason why the buddha had any of these trainings is for compassion for all beings for us individually for beings in family community Etc. So as I've been around my elders, even in my in my own family, um, uh, my own mother, and and um, my my grandparents in Hawaii, we call them calabash grandparents. We call it's so lovely here. You know how you can go to the grocery store and everybody calls like they would call me auntie all the time it's you know they're just saying you're my relative all the time auntie can i help you um did you get everything that you needed auntie and i yeah that that made me always makes me always feel so connected to community um, so being raised by three kind of mothers and my even my aunties were like my own mothers so I got a lot of that strength um, from those women in my life. And other beautiful elders and teachers. I've been inspired how even as their physical bodies changed, what was lighting up so much for me was their inner beauty. You know, the just the goodness of their hearts and the wisdom, the kind of practical wisdom that would always come out from um, their speech or their behavior and it was great to be around that i i feel really grateful that i i could have i experienced that in my culture Um, so i grew up in the filipino culture and i had i was surrounded by that so what became more noticeable is a glow and strength from that from their inner beauty glow and strength of their courage as well as their uh, gentleness their courage and strength to stand up for what was right for them or the family and also their their kindness was so radiant to me um and so these these qualities are called uh, this radiant inner wealth and um no one can take that away from us you know all of our physical uh, belongings and even this body can leave and can break up and break apart and who knows what happens to that but it is said in the Dharma that there is rebirth and um, um, I believe in that <laughs> but you know that not everybody does but even in just life this life we can feel the, the reliving over and over again of our lives every day and seeing how different we are through our practice, more purification. So this inner beauty is this quality of discerning, of a discerning wise mind, basically, and also a compassionate and open heart that really knows how to lead into life and feel okay about having an open heart, feeling that, more and more. I I didn't feel it before in the past, but as I grew more in the Dharma, I really felt the strength of of my heart to feel um, that I could face what my life had to bring me. There were times in my own life where, like yours, like any one of yours and and my cohorts teaching um, colleagues here too, that have had great difficulties also in our lives, and we still had to continue offering the Dharma. I, I remember sitting up in the Dharma seat sometimes and feeling like, whoa, I don't know if I can do this. You know, something about my children, my deep, my close family life going on. But I would just in, encourage myself to um, take your noble seat with your noble heart and just give what you can so we can we do that we can do that i'm speaking for all of us we can do that no matter what happens in the outer places of our lives outwardly even in, inwardly when kind of pebbles or rocks are thrown upon the stillness of our hearts and minds when we practice we have a sense that we really know for sure that it will come back to some stillness, some clarity, even though there's some rippling temporarily. So we have this confidence and clearness of knowing what leads to harmony, what leads to happiness and peace and intentionally developing that. Like we do in the heart practices, we intentionally offer what our intention is Even as Sally was saying, we can't always live into that intention, even in that moment, but we can at least say the intention and really know that this is where I want my path to go towards. And maybe we can't live into it then, but we can actually really feel that intention be true. So this inner beauty gets developed from starting there from starting with those awarenesses. In the ancient texts, it describes one of characteristics of virtuous conduct as harmonizing, harmonizing. So this virtuous conduct or moral virtue set in different ways in two areas or levels of our lives. In one area, it's living in harmony, and being aware of our of one's own highest inner value and being aware of our personal integrity and really respecting that and honoring that. Um, and so I think for all of us, and, and maybe just speaking for myself, and when I'm in deep practice, I really become more and more aware of what inner integrity means to me. And maybe sometimes I have to make more jumps sometimes it's a big jump sometimes it's a little step towards really purifying um, that knowledge of what is my highest value what are my highest values so it's it's really interesting to ask yourself that question sometime and then to see if you can answer that in in your life you know it may maybe take place over days or weeks or weeks or months and um, answering that question for oneself. And the second area or level in our lives is living in harmony with the highest values of the community we live in. Just knowing what what is the value of um, uh, the community, the particular community. I live in a very cultural community. And so there's very... Um, uh, there's values in different cultures that live here, Pacific Islanders, other Asian um, cultures that I pay attention to and really try to honor when I'm in their presence or even I just feel it on my own. You know, things um, like sharing food all the time um, with one another. That's a value of the community. we. I, that i live in right here we grow different things and share it with one another so these two together are called the bliss of happiness or the bliss or happiness of blamelessness the bliss of blamelessness where when we're living in harmony we feel no blame coming to us or we don't feel, and we don't feel any blame going out to another We have some understanding, some compassion about one another. We give way to um, times when we come short of it once in a while or another does. Just give space to that once in a while and say, oh, this person like myself is also human. So this leads to a deeper sense of well-being, supporting our inner and outer lives. All of this, of course, makes perfect sense, but I just, it's common sense. Uh, One time long ago, a yogi uh, said to me, this when first heard the Dharma said, this makes perfect sense. It's like, um, this is just like um, a higher sensibility, but it it does make sense. It's just very practical the highest practical sense that you can think of. So the, I want to read this from the Anguttara Nikaya, the word of the Buddha. And what is the happiness of blamelessness? Hear, uh, hear the householder, and now the Buddha's answering, to hear the householder, a noble disciple, is endowed with blameless bodily, verbal, and mental action When one thinks I am endowed with aimless bodily, verbal, and mental action, one experiences joy and happiness. This is called the happiness or the bliss of blamelessness. I just want to read from Bhikkhu Bodhi also. We've had such great teachers in our midst and, um, you know, I just want to honor them, read so much about who's dying in the world, and we all are, and so are the great ones. And one of the our elders is Bhikkhu Bodhi, an American uh, Theravada monk who did a lot of uh, important translation of the Pali to English in the um, in the suttas and commentaries. So Bhikkhu Bodhi, this is in Bhikkhu Bodhi's... Um, uh, talk about the good, the good. According to the Buddha's teaching, the necessary condition for any degree of true happiness is goodness. That is moral rectitude or virtue, sila. Such goodness is to be realized by ethical behavior. In order to be truly happy, to experience true happiness, we must lead a virtuous life. This means that we must adopt standards of behavior by which we give consideration to the well-being of others in our bodily action and speech. The moral life is a life in which we rise above the demands of self-interest and give heed to the interests of others as determinants of action. So in this day and age and in things happening around us, it's very important to repeat things like this and for us to take it in and and um, spread the word you know or at least really have it in our hearts so deeply so this is said to be the cornerstone upon which the eightfold noble path is built upon our speech and conduct that is free from harm because it says that this kind of conduct composes the mind and heart and it makes it easily quiet, which has far-reaching consequences. Just that probably you have experiences yourself when you're coming into a retreat and maybe um, you just left. And I'm, I'm just remembering a time when I came into a, a long retreat and I had just left my family and my um I think I had three teenagers all at once. And it was like they were all okay being at home and, you know, in my culture, we take care of each other. So um, I have elders that would take care of them when I'd be away. And so um, there was a lot of argument when I left about this or that. And so I went to the retreat with a lot of that, you know, things that I said that were not nice and it took a long time for my heart to settle but times when i made sure that i really had a clear intention to um you know be in connection with them in a way that my speech or um just my attitude of mind wouldn't harm them then when i went away i really felt that that was a re- a wonderful basis for for my retreat to be entered upon so the Dhamma places a great deal of importance on Sila as a starting point, and you know we we take these um, precepts once before we start the retreat. In, in the Burma in Burma, when I've been there a few times, we take the precepts every single day. And actually, when you're walking through a village, you might hear these precepts being chanted so beautifully. You know, it's. It's just like music to my ears. So, uh, some of you have said chanting the precepts important to you, encourage you to see whether that is a help to you, you know, to remember your intention every day. So, here um, from the Samyutta Nikaya, I like to use the words of the Buddha, um, they're very powerful. So, uh, a bhikkhu, one who is practicing like us, approached the Buddha and asked, Let the Blessed One teach me the Dhamma in brief. And the Blessed One answered, Well then, Bhikkhu, cultivate the very starting point of wholesome states. And what is the starting point of wholesome states? Virtue that is well purified and view that is straight. Straight means it has wisdom. Then when your virtue is well purified and your view straight, based upon virtue, established upon virtue, you should then develop the four foundations or establishments of mindfulness. So it's interesting that the Buddha had first, you know, cultivate dana, cultivate sila, and then cultivate, um, you know, the, this deep kind of awareness. So I, I really wanted to bring light to this and also to Donna, because um, it's really important to know the teachings of the Buddha, you know, what we're following and and how the Buddha laid it out. And so um, I think when the teachings came to the West, so many of us were interested in the development of the mind. So um, meditation was really a big hit, you know, and now we're hopefully really learning the whole of the Buddhist teachings and understanding what's really important, equally important. I guess you have learned by now um, that when we practice deeply, as you have been, we have a more refined sensitivity to what's going on inside. And this is really wonderful because then when we're out in the world, we can pay attention to that before we say something or we do something. And we can we can do the refraining or restraining when we need to or the carrying forth when it's uh, in harmony of what we're what we're going to say or how we're going to act so paying attention to our inner world even as we go out into the world and knowing the attitudes of the mind is one of our teachers Utejaniya, has taught us i'd love when he brought that word into being into use more because that's something that really resonated with me and many others. What's the attitude of the mind right now before I start or act? So we, we get to know where, for example, we might need to, um, as I put it, clean up our act a little more. You know, is there one of those precepts that we oh, I need to pay a little more attention to this one. So take some time to really pay attention to that one. That that would be a good home practice for us. You can, um, you know, or even one of the paramis, you know, something that develops that goodness. Um, so it said that the causes for this careful attention to arise in the world are two guardians of the world. The causes for this careful attention are called the two guardians of the world. And I realize that this is a shining light and the glow that I recognize in people, you know, my own elders, teachers, of course, and um, those who have been on the path uh, longer than I have. Um, all of you probably practice with Joseph and he's like a, a brother to me. We both had Manindra as our teacher in the very beginning. And, um, you know, I, I look to him really look to him like I really think what would Joseph say (laughs) or what would Joseph do in this situation you know and um, then I really listen to him you know when he's giving to a talk and how careful he is about his speech so um, that's his inner beauty you know that's Joseph's inner beauty and I can say that for a lot of other people but wanted to say about somebody you probably know too you recognize that also so these are not outer guardians you know that are inside a person but they're inner guardians they can be like a, sometimes people call them they're our inner spirit guides sometimes they're remembering our our ancestors you know are that um, we're related to our relatives that that, ex, that that express that in their lives and we remember them that becomes part of our inner guides to our um, examples in life so these inner guardians in the ancient language of pali are called hiri and i'm i'm going to write this on the chat um later hiri h-i-r-i and otapa o-t-t-a-p-p-a so i want to expand the meaning of these a little bit so hiri is translated in some of these um, in some books as moral shame but this is a very uh, poor translation of it because it's so much richer than that it's moral shame is quite inadequate in um, english shame is connected to something like toxic self-aversion but in the dhamma the definition is not associated with self-aversion at all Hiri, according to Bhikkhu Bodhi, um, is, uh, is translated as a personal sense of conscience, an internal reference, an inner sense that our words or behavior don't feel right. It's a healthy form, a wholesome form of sensitivity when we notice that in ourselves. You know, probably some, if not all of you, have noticed um, attitudes of unwholesome attitudes of mind that come up and we right away there's this sensitivity to like oh you know that's that kind of stings in the moment it kind of hurts in the moment it's suffering and realizing that is really important realizing that dukkha actually that dukkha in that moment when we realize that oh this is suffering it's not a painful hurt it becomes a wisdom. Dukkha is also, the understanding of dukkha is also wisdom, that this will lead to something harmful, that kind of wisdom. So when it has that sensitivity in protecting our commitment to integrity, we refrain from from doing what we might do or saying what we might say. Um, For example, when I'm in, in conversation with somebody close to me, my children or my partner and I know I might say something that would hurt or harm. I really want to do my best to not let it out of my mouth. Um, And so I try to remember, you know, to just don't go there. You don't need to say that, that part's not necessary. A lot of things come to me to help me to stay with the harmony between us to say it when it's the right time in the right way when I can think of the right way to say it. And mind you, I'm not always successful at that. I'm still working on that. But anyway, that's that's the, the bar for me. My mother used to say, before it comes out of your mouth, roll it around a <laughs> hundred times. I couldn't always do that. So I had this thought one time of, duct tape you know just I just had this vision of putting plopping duct tape on my mouth so now I call that Dharma duct tape when I'm gonna say something not so nice you know just put that Dharma duct tape on my mouth so this hiri is an intuitive sense of shrinking away from harming and for me it's harming one's own karmic stream because it has this personal sense that ooh is that being landed in the karmic stream to kind of roll around there and come back again to, you know, come up again for me to relearn that lesson over and over again? So that kind of understanding is having respect for oneself. It's having respect for one's personal integrity, to have a standard of self-respect for self upholding our highest values for oneself so here he is respecting one's own integrity one's own dignity a deep care for his really long-term well-being so um i read in the commentaries that a simile of how his experience is like when we're just about to grab an iron uh, rod and we see that it's smeared with excrement. And we go, ooh, you know, we, we, it's like a disgust when we see what's in our minds. It's like, I feel that way. And when I, I read that in the commentaries, it was, I think it was like in the Vasudhi it was like, I do feel that. I do feel like a disgust, like, ooh, that's, that doesn't feel right. One time I was practicing at the Forest Center in Burma. I came from a very difficult time in a, with a very dear friend of mine, and um, we were going through some difficulties, and I brought that to the retreat, and I just kept thinking about it and thinking about it, and then I just got so tired of these aversive mind states that were coming up. I told um, Sayadaw Upandita, this co- this mind state comes o- up over and over again, and he gave me some advice on that. I said, it feels like aversion, but it's not really. It's like, I just want to avoid that, but I, it's not avoiding it. It's really clear for me. And he said, when you sense this pattern arising, this was through an interpreter. When you sense this pattern arising, withdraw your energy from this pattern and either I sensed it or I saw it, I'm not sure. I saw his hand or his being withdraw. So it wasn't like, don't stay in there and don't feed it. Like, come away from that. But knowing that that is hearing, that is wise discernment. And later, um, I told him that I had this intuitive sense that it was wholesome of shrinking away and he said that's true and um, this is this was his words to me hiri is respect for oneself seeing the danger to oneself to one's own karmic stream later he gave a dharma talk on that stating that hiri is one of those inner guardians of the world a cause for that development of inner strength and inner beauty Um, So, the other guardian, that's hiri, and the other guardian is called otapa. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing it right, but anyway, that's the best I can. This is a direct, um, in the direct translation, I saw that that was kind of inadequate and others think so too, that it is moral dread or moral fear. That was the direct translation of otapa. And this dread or fear is not a defilement, it's a healthy sense of social conscience. So as whereas hiri is an internal reference, otapa has more of an external reference. It's consideration and respect for others. It's a healthy fear or concern of doing something blameable. That was interesting when I uh, took those that understanding and those words in of concern of doing something blamable, not only that our speech or behavior could be harmful to others, but knowing that um, maybe that I'm breaking the communal standards of uh, this community that I'm in. And someone or people in the community that I revere very much might look upon me, or, or the community might look upon me with blame, and I would feel disconnected from them. And I really wouldn't want that. So I really came to see how this is a wise sense of respecting the communal standards, of really understanding what causes harm. So it's, it had a lot to do with paying attention not only to intention, but to um, impact, and and that's a a teaching I think that we're all learning uh, more sensitively these days. It comes from this sensitivity to possible suffering of others uh, and compassion for, for their welfare. So what we might hear is that Members of the community, especially those we revere and respect, would lose their respect for us. So it said that the proximate cause for moral fear to arise is respect for others. And this is a healthy fear. So Manindra used to tell me when there's um, otapa, there's an inner signal. Like this doesn't feel right to say this or to or to do this. And it's so like a signal of, be careful, be careful. You're gonna hurt others here. And at the same time, you're going to hurt your own inner, um, your inner conscience. You're going to hurt your own inner stream of karma. So one can bring the other about, their, their, they usually come in pairs. So there have been times in my life where the, these guardians saved me. And hopefully, you know, they you will continue to be uh, aware of them in your own heart because um, you all have a great goodness of heart. Just becoming more and more aware of that, letting that lead the way, refraining from what is harming. Those are the two big um of this practice of sila. So sila or virtuous conduct is a beautiful form of renunciation. The Buddha would say, virtuous conduct has non-remorse as its aim and non-remorse as as its benefit. So when we walk this path, we can have this feeling of um, great happiness, the bliss of blamelessness when we can feel very settled in our mind and in our hearts. And uh, from that deep, deep settleness, from letting go, from the practice of dana, from the practice of sila, letting go of behavior or words that are um, uh, cause difficulty and ourselves, our hearts and minds can be very settled and the Dharma can be seen very, very clearly and accomplished also very very clearly so these enable us to go more deeply in our practice of liberation so this also from the Nikaya, the buddha this magnificent chariot of the eightfold noble path has hiri and otapa as its backrest if you have this backrest you will have something to rely on depend on something on which you can sit comfortably as you travel towards your aspiration these qualities are weak one risks losing mindfulness and all the dangers that ensue this um, particular lineage that we all teach from of course it's much broader than that but the lineage that brought um, Joseph and Jack, uh, this Theravada lineage and others, um, brought the teachings to the West. Uh, One of our great uh, ancestor teachers is Mahasi Sayadaw, and I would call him my grandfather teacher. He's a teacher of Upandita, the teacher of Manindraji, also the teacher of Shwayumin, who was a teacher of Utajaniya, so we're we're all in this same lineage, and um, just doing my best to um, let that come through. You know, let our teacher's words come through. So I want to quote Sayadaw uh, Mahasi Sayadaw because he had a very high standard, and um, I mean it's really it's really a blessing to be around people that have high standards. So, this is Mahasi Saidel. So you should protect your morality with great care, just as you would protect your very life. You should not be negligent about your behavior, thinking that you can correct it later. You might die at any time. Morality is especially important for those who are practicing meditation. They should even honor and respect it more than their lives And keep it fully purified. If you purposely and properly purify morality, then you will have a clear conscience every time you reflect about morality during your meditation practice. You will experience joy and delight, tranquility, happiness, and peace. By observing the physical and mental processes every time they arise, you will see things as they really are, and gain further knowledge, meaning liberation. So thank you for, for your kindness and, and listening, and I offer this for your contemplation, seeing how it is true for you. And may you continue in your practice. Thank you for listening.